welcome to Rehydrate. This season, we will be reading and discussing Becky Chambers' The Long Way to a Small, Angry Planet, which is book one of the Wayfarer series. This is season two, episode five, Seven Hours, where we'll be discussing the chapters October 25 through Seven Hours. The hosts are new to this book and series, and we've only read through this episode's chapter, so we're all going in unspoiled. I'm Jim. Hey, I'm Dan. This is Tim. Hi, this is Amin. Okay, so in this set of chapters, the Wayfarer traveled through Quellen space, and it was detained by the Quellen, who scanned the crew, and they discovered that Corbin is a clone, and they hate clones. And then Corbin also discovers that he is a clone. And using space marriage, they get him released from the Quellen, who held him in this sort of gulag where they beat him up. Then Corbin's dad explains to him why he cloned him. And then next they stop at a heretical Cyanet planet to fix their fridge. There, they learn that there's a cure for the virus that affects Ohan and most of the Cyanet. Or Cyanet, one of those two. And then they also learn that the Cyanet continue to be geniuses after they're cured. And in fact, they are powering their planet with Ambi that they extract from a nearby nebula. Then finally they get to Hedraka, the angry planet. There, a Taremi, Tomb, struggles with not agreeing with the new mothers who have decided that they need to make an alliance with the GC. And after a lot of struggle and some banquets and stuff, the Wayfarer goes for its its big punch to make the wormhole and he attacks them at the last second, causing intense sublayer chaos. All right, so I think we talked about last episode how not much has been going on with Corbin. Well, and then things happened with Corbin. Yeah, what do you, what do you guys think? Does this explain a lot about him? And do Does it? I don't think it explains anything, right? Yeah, I felt the same way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. He's just a... Well, I mean, it, it explains that his dad was a grumpy jerk, and so he's a grumpy jerk. But like lots of people who aren't clones are also jerks, but they're because their parents are jerks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I know we keep hounding on this, but then Corbin goes through this whole thing, and then the next two chapters, nary a word is mentioned about any of this. So yeah. it happens, it's a big deal, and then it's totally forgotten. The one part I did think was interesting in this whole thing around around the Quinlan and helping to get Corbin out of this was the author talked a little bit about how different races have different different privilege, I guess. I thought it was a nice world-building touch that even in this future world where there's all these different species and all these different skills and everything else that they were still speciest privilege that goes on. So Sissix can help Corbin get out, but that's only because of her species and their status in the GC. Was it a privilege, though? I thought it was more, they just didn't have laws for it. Like it, was, it seemed more like a loophole than a, yeah. any kind of privilege. They had this part where they said, she was nobody, but her species was one of the big three in the GC parliament, and they had oh, far yeah. more pull than the Quinlan did. Their species' diplomatic ties were tenuously civil at best, and the Andrisk, treated poorly at the hands of Quinlan enforcers, was the sort of thing news feeds would pounce on. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, like the UN, okay, you have the big yep, members. Yep, exactly. <laughs> the the veto members, right? And then you have all the other people that are just a part of it. Yeah, so I thought that was a nice world-building component to this. 
there's even like communications talking about how the humans are kind of really low on the <laughs> yes. on the, yeah. the ranking there, right? Yeah, I think I, I remember seeing that and thinking like, on one hand, that it's an interesting concept, humans being, you know, underprivileged, not having the advantage and not having the, the implicit power. But I mean, I guess it has come up a few times in this book, but it's it's like a mostly human crew. So we don't see quite as much of that. And it'd be interesting if in like a future book, there was like, you know, a situation where there's like one human and then a bunch of, I don't know, Iluans or or the, the Harmagians or something like that, hmm. where that kind of power dynamic really comes into play. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of uh, interaction with uh, the authorities or anything, or like the GC itself with them, so you don't really get a chance to see humans kind of get on, you know? Like, it would be interesting to see some sort of, like, scene with, like, their parliament or something, or their galactic council or something like that, you know, to kind of get a sense of where their actual, like, place is in the power structure. And it would be cool if it was like the British House of Commons, where they <laughs> yeah, really right. let it all out. The one chapter from the, where they talked about the, the Quellen kind of talking about the humans, like that was pretty brutal, right? That was yeah, yeah. yeah was... Saying like, yeah, they're not, they're not really worth it. You know, we've had oh, yeah. we, we've had these kind of troubled people before. It's not yeah. Their assertion that they're just sort of here by luck and they don't really like deserve their place, you know, like not, and not not and not via the inherent qualities of their species. They didn't bootstrap their way into the the cosmos. Yeah, it's interesting that the concept of meritocracy, or I guess scare quotes meritocracy, is also here, because like I, I guess we are not privy to the entire history of the Quellen, but we don't know if they caught a break or if the only break that matters is environmental evolutionary conditions early on. <laughs> Again, as we're just sort of still reading this, this this singular novel and not taking in the series of a, as a whole, it's still a little frustrating. Is this building to something? You know, Is this like necessary character development that's going to come into play? Now I'm assuming further down into the series because we don't have a whole lot like left in this you know, book to really kind of like, well, not resolve because there's not necessarily, you know, something to resolve, but I kind of feel like at this point, still just kind of building all of these characters to kind of be these, you know, series long presences, like, yeah. you know, like this sort of character building would come into play further down the line. Like, I kind of feel like this is going to end on some sort of cliffhanger or now that like something has happened, at least some sort of major crisis has happened. Like, I don't see four more chapters kind of like turning this into a, like a complete story. But didn't they end up where like where they wanted to end up? Like that's what it seemed like to me. They overcame their challenges and were able to still come through where they wanted to come through. Did um, they? I I'm not really sure they they did come through where they wanted to come. Well, well sure. I, but, I don't remember. But I mean, given that there's out. been you know no real like overarching story like you know stitching all of these chapters together other than the journey itself, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, finally something happened, right? But that's good. Yeah. I had in my notes the. <laughs> The, it reminded me of like a wacky sitcom plot of the two uh, antagonists being handcuffed yeah. to each other. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's a little contrived. Do you think they'll fall in love though? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that would be like a love triangle plot between uh, Rosemary, Sussex, <laughs> and Corbin now. <laughs> yeah. This is a really brief aside, but going back to the part where Corbin was was speaking to Marcus, Marcus was talking about when he was a young man. He, he took a posting down on Overlook, which is a place where he was kind of isolated and alone and whatever. And it reminds that the Overlook Hotel is from The Shining. So yeah, I thought that was, that was a nice homage. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, let's see, it was the Overlook, he was, he was largely alone, not many people showed up, there are no twins. Okay, I can't find any other connections, but, but that is, that is, a, that is a good <laughs> There was an elevator notice. that had blood coming out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, as long as we're, we're backtracking, about the thing about whether or not it's going to end on a cliffhanger, I lean slightly towards it won't. Just based on meta information, because the way it was, was I think the author was basically saying, well, I've tried writing for a long time, so I'm just going to, it hasn't worked out, so I'm just going to do this one thing and Kickstarter it, and then I'll say I've, I have written a book. Yeah. So that that's my guess. I would guess the same. I think they're going to try to wrap the story up, but like, not a cliffhanger, but like, there'll be space for future stories and i think that space is made by her trying to flesh out all these characters and like spending so much time on doing like this world building sure yeah i mean yeah i didn't mean so much as like a cliffhanger but given that this is so plot thin and sort of characterization heavy why would you write it that way if you weren't planning on paying off in future novels you know i wonder if she's like tolkien where there's just a mountain of notes about every character <laughs> And like whether or not they get published or not, <laughs> she was she was interested in writing it. Probably not. It's, well, I don't know. I don't know how common that is. That that seems particularly insane to me. The the whole Tolkien thing. But yeah, I guess there has been you know the, a minor plot you know that is you know is kind of strung through this with Ohan with this chapter where they meet the heretics and you know they you know, discover that they have like a cure for this or at least you know they 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 perceive it as a cure. Whereas obviously Ohan and you know the the usual cyanet pairs, you know, see it as a, a blessing or, you know, part of who they are. Like, I was actually kind of expecting, like, I'm kind of glad she didn't do this because it would have been a little, like, too contrived. But, like, in the following chapter, when it goes down, that they would, they would force some more, like, crisis where it's like they couldn't get through this unless they, like, hit him up with the cure. And it they seems did? Like... No, no, they pumped him no, with they... adrenaline. Yeah. They, are you sure? Yeah. Okay, so I read it. When I read it, it was like they gave him that to prop him up, but then he still had problems after that. So well, they uh, gave him two. Like, three, I mean, maybe it's a, it was a little vague to me. So like I could, yeah. I mean, I'm not exactly sure. It just seems like there would be some major fallout from that. I think there's going to be. That was how. I, let me find the chapter real quick. Yeah, Doctor Chef gave instructions. It's like here, here's like this adrenaline thing. He goes down, just just pump him full of this, right? But there was one spot where Ashby like specifically says like, all right, in this place, go get this thing out of this place. And then they give it to him. So I think they gave him the two adrenaline shots. And then they gave him this other thing, which I think is like the, the syringe of the cure that <laughs> happens to be a syringe. I don't know why they even took it on board if they didn't want to give it to him even. Okay. Ohan, yeah, has like a seizure on page 386 of, well, of the paper book. Oh, he tossed the canister to Dr. Chef. The doctor pulled out a medical device and pressed it against Ohan's wrist patch. But there was, bef there was before that. Like there was like a spot where they there he says, go grab something out of this other thing. Black canister, top drawer, third from the left go, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So then so then Ashby ran, brought it back, and then he he okay, so it says he tossed the canister to Dr. Chef. The doctor pulled out a medical device and pressed it against Ohan's wrist patch. A second went by, two, three, the tremors stopped. Ohan went rigid, their mouth falling open. Oh, I think this is intentional ambiguity then. And then I mean, I, woke up I, definitely, 
I definitely read it as, all right, we tried this, you know, the adrenaline shots or whatever, you know, the stuff that we agreed on, but it's not working. And we really, really need him to like decide up or down. Right. Yeah. So let's give him this cure and then we'll deal with the follow we'll later. deal with it later. Yeah. yeah, that's, like yeah. Image, that's really interesting. Oh. I, I hadn't read it like that. Although it seemed like Ashby's not the type of captain to give someone that type of, of injection against their, against their will, especially, especially when, when Ohan was, they were so clear about it before i could see a case where he might in which which is a trolley problem right it's like go against ohan's wishes right that's hitting the one guy and then there's uh everybody gets lost in uh the sub layer and dies yeah um, i think he's like he's looking out for the crew right the the needs of the many outweigh the needs of whatever it is is that from star trek dan yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it may be what Becky Chambers was thinking. I didn't take it as super ambiguous. It seemed kind of straightforward to me that like that's what's happening because like she doesn't write it down specifically saying he gave them the heretical cure, but it seemed like it to me. Okay, now that I reread, I think you maybe read more carefully than me. The apparatuses were different. So mm. so I think that might have happened, right? The journal shot was a shot. It was like an injection. And then this other thing was a wrist patch. So, I mean, who knows? There's a small chance it could be an adrenaline wrist patch or, or something yeah. like that. I don't recall if they ever like explain the mechanics of how the cure works or whether it's like instantaneous because it didn't seem like I would kind of assume that like a cure for something like that wouldn't have the immediate effect of like an adrenaline chop. But yeah, I guess one explanation could be like if it, it acts immediately to kill off the virus and the virus is, is taking them down, maybe that's what it was. I don't know. Uh, it's it's a bit weird because like even if you know regular earth physiology and stuff like that even if you get rid of something that it's attacking a, a body it doesn't really re recover that quickly and in, in the end actually so i think i read this literally like last monday or something like that did they get to where they wanted to go when they when they exit the sub layer or did i thought they so up? like it seemed like they they kind of like broke the the gate or whatever on the way out but it seemed like they got to like eventually where they wanted to go. I think they saved themselves from whatever, you know, destruction they were facing. The chapter like ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger in that like, okay, everything's called they're they're safe now. I don't think they know exactly where they're at. And then it ends on like the cliffhanger of like lovey, like I guess Oh got lovey, rebooted. Dead. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> just yeah. like something. Like all, all the SSDs failed or whatever they got going. Yeah. yeah, all yeah. the all the alerts went off. Yeah, because like he went like, oh, normally everything's green, and now everything's red. All their yeah. all their Grafana metrics are <laughs> up errors or whatever. Yeah, and you know we haven't mentioned the. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah kind the, of the weird, the weird, yeah, the way yeah, he's pretty much he's pretty much humping the computer. Um, <laughs> yeah. in that one chapter, and now, and now at this point, this uh, chapter ends with Reese like going, "Lovey, lovey, can you hear me? Lovey, say something." And I guess we're all supposed to think like. Oh no, not lovey. I wonder if like we're supposed to feel bad about it. I don't I don't know, like I don't think we are. I well, I don't know if we are. I feel like this is like a lesson about the the nature of that kind of relationship, uh, about the you know, the essential machine nature of a of a computer. No, no, you know, I that's my read into it, but that might not be what it's like the the, the author intends. Like you you made all these plans around forming this relationship with this program and you know guess what can happen you know 
But are, are we supposed to be rooting for them to get together? Is that like the... I don't think so. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, like, And also, another thing I found interesting about that is, I remember when I was reading that, it's like, something you could do if you're a woman author is you can write a scene like that. And you could write it as a male author, but you have to get over people thinking that you want that to happen. Hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. oh... This is what this author, this is what Jim thinks. <laughs> it's good. It's good. <laughs> and then you'd be really scared to write that. <laughs> I don't know if she means that this frontier should be crossed or that it's just an interesting frontier. Like the thing with the uh, Andrisk, like not really considering children to be full people. It's just, maybe it's just there. It's like, yeah, it is It is pretty different between the sentient reptile-human relationship because the fantasy sentient reptile has like a will of their own and can leave and, you know, decide not to do this and right. things like that. But yeah, there's. I think she puts in indications that Lovey just wants to do whatever Jenks wants. Like there's a point where they're talking about the body and she's like, well, actually I was just saying that because yeah, you seemed like you wanted you want, that. Yeah, <laughs> right. And that's like in the real world when when you see a relationship like that among like humans, like even adult humans, it's just like oh, that's that's trouble. That's abusive. <laughs> but is is it even worse because like he probably programmed her to think that way? <laughs> he might have. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I you know I think in the beginning they say that she's like a stock thing, so there's like hundreds or thousands of instances of her. But then that, but then I mean, he's been constantly like, working on her programming and you know trying oh, he to. Did? Okay. I, I think so. Like that's how I read it anyway. Like he, yeah, maybe it started out of stock, but it uh, you know it evolved you know as he uh, put a lot of work into. I, I, <laughs> into <laughs> I thought <laughs> I in. thought he did some training, like you know, as in just by normal interaction, which is sort of similar. But I don't know if he did explicit writing some C or something <laughs> to uh, like define her behavior. And given that, is, wouldn't Lovey be replicable? Like, wouldn't you be able to just, I don't know, maybe it's more complicated than this, but take the algorithms and everything and just put it into some other some other ship? Is it is it really that unique? Maybe there's a backup somewhere that, that Jenks can use. And can't you also have Lovey in a body and Lovey in a ship? I think because of the, um, because of the space thing, I would guess that there's like no instant cloud backup because <laughs> cause like it's like really far. Like they have to communicate through like, like they, they seem to only be able to send really small amounts of data to each other across space. So yeah, I, I think, I think basically if you, you back, if you back her up, you basically back her up on the ship and that's probably the best you could do. Maybe you could go back to the last city you went to and restore her from that save point or something like that. And then you only have to like rebuild whatever uh, happened since then. So what else happened? I think that's about it, right? Well, I thought like the interesting part to me of these chapters was the perspective from the, the Taremi that it reminded me, oh, right. it reminded me a lot of the, the listener chapters from three body problem um, where you can kind of see that different perspective. Although it's opposite of that, right? Where the listener was the pacifist and trying to hide the information from the uh, the rest of the the Trisolarians. Where in this case, this guy is more of the old school mentality where people are trying to like say, "Hey, we can get together. You know, we, we you know we can overcome our differences and we can work together and that kind of stuff." So 
this plot I think is more traditional. And it reminded me again, and going back to Star Trek Corner here, reminded me <laughs> of of a next generation episode called First Contact, where the crew of the Enterprise sends record out of a planet to like kind of observe the the race that they they're about to become more capable. Anyway, so Sparrow's out into control and eventually like they have like this old school xenophobic uh, minister who sabotages the the first contact operation named uh, Krola, if I remember right. Anyway, it reminded me of that. So th- I think that's more of a typical thing where like the whole society is like we're getting, getting ready to progress, but you have like this old old school like thinking mentality of like, oh, you know, we don't need other people. And, and then that, that's what that's, this guy eventually did, right? He eventually goes and shoots the wafer as a building this tunnel to kind of sabotage the relations between their world and the rest of the the galaxy, I guess. And and the physical connection. There's actually a a layer on which it is actually very similar to the three-body problem in that this is a guy who is struggling with basically not thinking the same as everybody else. And then he just acts on it. He just does, he goes rogue. It's like, I'm just getting in my ship and shooting those guys, even though you know, our entire society is built around everybody thinking exactly the same thing. Oh, I thought it was also convenient that they have super hearing and then they happen to go into and hear over here, the conversation of, you know, the, the ship for some reason, the crew talks about the stuff, like they know about this stuff. I think wasn't even um, Rosemary part of the conversation and she already knew about the super hearing. No, aspect of she it. never, she never got that message. Oh, she didn't get it. It's it's a like a Baylor demon style message at the beginning. It says oh, that it I missed re- that. It was it couldn't re- reach the subject, so oh. it was it was meant to. Yeah, it was it was something that she would have known if she had gotten it, but like, oh no, she doesn't know this. And then you, you knew if you read that part that there was going to be some super hearing that messed them up. Oh. So I, I did read that part, but I obviously missed the part where it was like not not deliverable. I guess I didn't read the headers. You got to read the headers. <laughs> How do you know it's not fishing? <laughs> yeah, because I thought I was like, well, all right, well, doesn't she remember that they have super hearing and that she's just talking about these people like in the you know in their presence? So, all right, I guess that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah, and and then that gave that guy the fuel to just be like, forget it. I'm just gonna Leroy Jenkins here and shoot the ship. <laughs> I think it's again like I don't think they specifically said it was him, but I mean it's pretty obvious it's him, right? She like mentions the author meant like when there's that discussion with you know the other guy who's just kind of messing with him because she knows that he doesn't completely agree. Uh, I think she mentions she has a ship, and she's like, "Well, you got a ship. Why don't you go do uh, do what you want?" <laughs> then he's like, "Oh, I should kill her because that's how we resolve problems and stuff." But I'm not going to because she'll kick my ass or, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And then he goes and does it. Yeah. I think these, these chapters had a lot of momentum, like, you know, even if there's like a, a lot of nitpicks as like, yeah, like I was reading this normally, I would have just, just finished the book. Yeah. So I'll, I'll definitely say like the punch chapter, it was really effectively written to be in a really chaotic style. And like, I, I really got that when I was reading it like, everything just felt like really chaotic and like, Oh, oh man, we got we got shot, and now we have to do this thing, and like Ohan's like killing over. So like, there was a lot. I think it was skillfully written in that that way. It, it felt really chaotic and really stressful, like yeah. more than more than normal, right? Like they've done this punching like a bunch of times before, but this one felt even more stressful because of the extenuating circumstances. Yeah, I think there was a good control of tension at the same time, not for any real reasons, but 
now now that you mentioned the star trek stuff i could imagine this entire thing with the star trek shaking camera thing <laughs> you know when they're, they're, they're being shot and they, they just won't stop shaking the camera <laughs> yeah, yeah and you're like oh no it's really intense because the camera's shaking um yeah you, you see ashley like oh red alert shields up yeah, yeah, this is the how would they film it if, if this was going to be made into a thing yeah. and they weren't going to make it well. <laughs> Just <laughs> do the tension with the shaking camera. But yeah, no, I, I think the confluence of events uh, kind of uh, is, is well controlled. Like the pacing is well controlled, I think. But I wonder, like, I think me and the rest of us talked about a lot about consequences uh, about actions, right? And the only really consequence is now that Ohan's going to live longer. All right, <laughs> you yeah. know, like the, there'll probably yeah. be some fallout of that, uh, and like the only character who might die is the like AI. All right, yeah, that's true. I think the the next chapter is called Hard Reset. Like I don't know anything about it, but like it's called Hard Reset, and like yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know what that is, right? Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not, I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, I always feel there should be like you know hard consequences that make the world feel like it's really changing. I don't know if everybody wants that. And I don't know if that necessarily makes, is is all you need to have like a good novel. But I think that the problem is that she keeps setting it up, right? She keeps setting up like, oh, now. Oh, like this now, will now happen and then, okay. Yeah, yeah. now Sissix and Corbett are handcuffed together. And now like Kizzy has PTSD and now this thing and that thing, right? And then he just like, uh, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's not being set up like a melodrama, you think, and that's that's the tricky thing. So it's not like The Mandalorian, where it's just like, okay, Baby Yoda's in trouble now, but you know, <laughs> things will work out. You, you yeah, just, they get out the, of it, the right? only interesting thing is how is it going to work out? You know. Um, yeah, I think like you know you, you mentioned you know George R. R. Martin's writing style and how kind of random things happen, but those things all build on top of each other, right? Like events happen because of those random events, right? They all kind of build on top of each other and they end up turning into the Red Wedding or whatever, right? So it doesn't feel like these consequences are consequential. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, it, and it, at the end of the chapter, everything you know, it's like it's like the the episodic reset after, and it's like all right, well, we don't worry about that anymore. It's like. The Sissix and Corbin are supposed to be married for a year, right? Like they have to be like super close and like, you know, the introduce him into into GC citizenship or whatever it's supposed to be. And I I didn't get any of. I think like I think, why weren't they yeah. close during the during the the punch? Why didn't that cause problems? Like I don't know. I think that's a yeah. I think that's a good point. Like yeah, are they are they really stacking? I guess one minor thing is I I don't think they do have to be close. They just have to be close when there's official things going on there's like a whole half chapter dedicated to kizzy having ptsd after after that and there's been nothing since then well i think in that case it's hard to fit everything in every chapter with this many characters maybe you don't have to have a whole chapter based on kizzy you can bring up kizzy's ptsd as other things are happening it could be well this i think i think that they did bring that up though when when she was panicking kind of um... but not really in the punch. Yeah, no, no, she had to remember, like, how to stay calm, right? She had to oh. remember what uh, Pei told her. That Was that of part of it? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it, it seemed consequential enough, but yeah. but the PTSD did come up there. You know, when the, the ship got boarded again by the, by the Quellen, there didn't seem to be a lot of consequence there either. You know, she just kind of let it happen. Right. Yep. Like, if she had, like, secretly stored a weapon and shot them and caused, like, some conflict, then I was like, well, that's you know, a direct, you know, behavior based off of her, her past experience, that kind of stuff. Right. 
yeah maybe maybe she should have been more more nervous there although that's yeah. more like a standard like inspection it's like you're maybe. going through these guys space so you're gonna get inspected speaking of that i thought for sure that like they're gonna find the uh the body modification as part of the the scan you know because they were talking about like any illegal tech or you know they, they, they throw stuff into the into the engine like i thought for sure they're gonna find the the body modification and, and get i didn't you know i obviously didn't see corbin uh, being a clone and getting arrested but yeah i thought for sure that was gonna happen but i guess he didn't get it yet because i think they talked they talked later that he, it's still on its way oh wait what body modification are you talking about rosemary's uh, secret patch no, no, no. The the body mo- the AI body modification. Because remember, he bought the body oh, modification. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. The actual yeah, yeah, yeah. body, not not the body. Okay. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Okay, that I, I didn't thought, think was going to I thought they were going to find the patch, but... Oh, uh, no. yeah. And they also kind of set up how Rosemary noticed the weapons that the that Taremi were using, but that didn't like, do anything either. <laughs> it's like, she really, like, talks about the gun a lot that the, the Taremi are holding. It's like, okay. I recognize it. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, if you try to imagine a more consequential version of this, which, you know, maybe because of lack of imagination, mostly I imagine people dying <laughs> and then being like, yeah. oh. Yeah, and, but, I mean, and also, and also I don't want to keep harping on this because obviously Becky Chambers wants to tell the story she wants to tell, and that's that's great. I'm not saying it should be a different story. I'm just saying this is this is not my favorite type of storytelling this episodic type of storytelling isn't my favorite yeah it doesn't feel like a book it feels like a tv show <laughs> i don't know well i mean i have to say there's lots of different kinds of books <laughs> true I mean, uh, yeah. many of which preceded tv shows that, that that are sort of like this yeah. especially comic books incidentally but that's that's what we think about this <laughs> <laughs> And All that's right. what we think about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. I'll leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter at rehydratepod. Please join us next time for the season two finale where we'll be finishing up the long way to a small angry planet by Becky Chambers. <laughs>